Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shank Show. Happy Monday and welcome to our broadcast. I'm Bill Shanks with Russ Brown. Holy crap, are we busy. I mean, this is what sports is all about in the month of March with basketball, even though we have one team from the state of Georgia going to the NCAA Big Dance. We have spring training baseball with the baseball season getting closer and closer, three and a half weeks away. And football with the NFL Combine now over and NFL free agency really underway. Official start to NFL free agency is not until next week, but boy, we have a ton to talk about today. Russ, once again, as I look at my three pages of notes for today, (laughs) this is why this time of the year can be so much fun. Yeah, it's great. You know, it's it's not the one big thing like, the, the college football season is, but like you said, I mean, if, if you're a fan of and football, baseball, basketball is kind of what we stick to here. Um, all three things are going on right now, uh, and, and it's just, you know, we, we know the selection Sunday is coming up, which means the NCAA tournament's right around the corner, which means the Masters is right around the corner, which means the start of the baseball regular season is right around the corner, and as you said, NFL free agency next week, the draft will be here before you know it. It's, it's a fun time on the, on the calendar for sure. And there's spring football all over the Southeast starting today for some teams. And if Georgia starts next week, I I mean, this is just a a great time of the year. We will start with a lot of football talk. I mean, a lot of football talk. How much of the NFL Combine did you watch this weekend, Russ? I watched a good portion of it on Saturday. I wanted to see those quarterbacks, so I, I, I watched a pretty good bit. Didn't watch as much yesterday. Well, and, and I'm, I'm in Waycross, so uh, uh, my mother does not have the NFL network, which is going to have to be a family meeting when I see her. But um, So I didn't get to see it. I just saw highlights. Obviously, I saw Stetson's highlights, but – what were your overall impressions? Let me ask you that since you did watch and, and watched in detail. Um, I, I came away even more uh, confident, in my opinion, that C.J. Stroud is the best quarterback in this draft. Mm-hmm. Um, his ball placement was really impressive. I thought uh, Anthony Richardson really showed out. I mean, the, you, like it's hard for me to see him as a number one pick because of what we saw in college, but I see you see what the scouts see in this guy. The potential's through the roof. I thought Levis had to go. I thought all the quarterbacks performed uh, really well, and uh, you know, and I thought for the Atlanta Falcons, I thought it was a really good day because I think all four of those guys will probably get picked before the eighth pick, and it's going to push somebody <laughs> back down to the Falcons. Well, I agree, and we'll get into that. Um, of what of what I saw, obviously, everybody's talking about Stetson. Uh, Stetson taller than Bryce Young. He's five eleven, three eighths. Bryce Young five ten, one eighths. So that's uh, a little over an inch. Young's got twelve pounds on him. He weighed in at two hundred four. Stetson at one ninety two. Ten inch hands for Stetson four six seven. You know, look, I, I think Stetson performed very well. I, I think Stetson may be a late day two or early day three draft pick because I, I don't know how someone can't 
come away impressed with his ball placement and his accuracy in those drills. He's going to have another opportunity, obviously, at the UGA Pro Day, which will probably be in the next couple of weeks to uh, to, to show off a little bit. You know, I, I was hearing earlier on in our day here um, on another show, uh, not Russ and Daniels, on, uh, on Chuck Oliver, where someone was saying, well, you know, people are going to probably hurt Stetson because of his size. It's like, how, how long do we have to hear that? And knowing that Bryce Young is shorter than, than Stetson. Now, I realize that Bryce Young has great talent. Don't get me wrong. And I, I, Bryce Young's going to be one of the top four or five picks in the NFL draft. Stetson's not there. I get it. And, but it's like, well, what do you want? He's won two national championships. He has gotten better, I think, structurally, fundamentally, in, in, in a lot of the things he has to do as a quarterback. He is obviously a winner. And look at what he did by throwing the ball. I mean, I, I just, I, of course, I know I'm looking through red and black glasses here, but I, I do believe that teams are going to be intrigued with Stetson Bennett. If size is a problem, why is it not a problem for Bryce Young? Well, he's got more skills than Stetson. Okay, but how much more skills than Stetson? How how much more? I mean, to me, Russ, the biggest problem with Stetson is his age, not his size. Compared to, to Bryce and all these other guys, obviously, you know, Stetson's 37 years old, <laughs> right? So, I mean, to me, that's the biggest thing that may – keep him from even going late second day yeah. is that people will say, well, he's 25 compared to size. I just don't know why that continues to be even mentioned, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure either, Bill. Um, I, I mean, I do – I think it's it's the athleticism. I, I think people just don't see that because if you think about quarterbacks that are 5'11", 5'10", 5'11", right around 200 pounds, it's Russell Wilson, it's, it's Kyler Murray, it's Bryce Young, and Stetson Bennett's in that – Ilk. That's the type. I mean, he can make plays with his feet. We've seen him do it at the University of Georgia. Yep. So I think that gets overlooked. I think, like you said, 25 is the biggest hurdle that he's going to have. And I, I think the answers that he gave uh, to what happened in Dallas, uh, they were good enough for me. I mean, as long as nothing else happens between now and the draft, I, you know, that was just a, a, a night of, of really poor judgment that hopefully he learned from. So, you know, the, the, the age is what's going to hold him back. But I. Yeah, first of all, I don't think we should be surprised by anything Stetson Bennett does. He's been proving us wrong his whole career, and and I agree with you. I mean, I think it, it just takes one team, but he may have played his way into a day-two pick. I really do think so. We might have. We'll see. I mean, obviously, people are going to continue to ask him questions about what happened in Dallas. I think he did obviously address it. I'm sure he's addressing it similarly with the teams that are going to ask him questions. But, I, I look, I think those passes, when I saw those passes, I'm like, what, what, what do you need? What more do you need? Now, I know it's just passing in a drill and so forth, but still it was pretty impressive, and I'm happy for him that he was able to perform very well. From what I saw, I'm with you, Russ. C.J. Stroud, to me, looks like the biggest uh, potential star in this draft when it comes to quarterback I, I just like what he has in his skill set, and I um, like his size. Uh, you know, I, I I think most Georgia Bulldog fans are going to be skeptical like I am about Anthony Richardson. I, I agree with what you said, though. There's no question there is a, a, a list of things that are going to make NFL scouts intrigued by Anthony Richardson, and therefore – 
he's probably going to go very early. You don't often find someone who's 6'4 and a quarter, 244, who can run a 4'4'3 and has 10.5-inch hands and can heave it like he can. So, therefore, he's going to be right there in the mix. There's no question about it. So, uh, the the jockeying for those four quarterbacks will be very, very interesting, and we know, obviously, that um, there are going to be a lot of teams that are going to be interested in moving up or m- moving around to get those four quarterbacks in the draft next month. Darnell Washington's a freak of nature. It's not a surprise. We've known that. <laughs> He's a beast. He's the Incredible Hulk. I'll never forget last year, or 2021, I should say, the first time I saw, or I guess it was 2020, I should say, rather, the COVID year, first time I saw Darnell Washington catch the pass and turn around and just start running, and it was just like you wanted to have those old NFL films sound effects of him, boom, 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 running down the field, looking like the Incredible Hulk, six six five eight two sixty four. 464 40-yard dash, 11-inch hands. He made a one-handed catch that everybody almost made trend on social media. He was very impressive. And I, I tell you, Russ, uh, I, I joked on Twitter. It wasn't really a joke, but I said, Falcons need to move up into the late first round. They may have to move back from eight to be able to get him or either considering there. And I tell you, I can't wait to see where this guy goes. He he is a freak of nature and you just don't see something like that come around very often. Right. And, and you know, t- I think Terry Fontenot really likes guys like this. You know, he mm-hmm. talks about taking the best player available in the draft. I mean, the Falcons don't need a tight end. But, I mean, Darnell Washington, if he's available, if you can find a way to make that happen, I think he's perfect for Arthur Smith's offense. You know, yeah. a, a, a tackle that can catch passes, basically. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, we saw what – him being tight to the line of scrimmage, you saw what that allowed Todd Munkin to be able to do with uh, Brock Bowers. I think with the Falcons and Kyle Pitts, I mean, it's almost like it would be like the NFL version of that. Like you yep. said, they'll, they'll either need to trade back to get him or back into the first round uh, to get him. But, uh, you know, that's the type of player that I think would really thrive in Arthur Smith's offense. I just can't imagine Darnell getting into the second half of the first round. I, I just would be very surprised. And, it, I think more and more you just wonder if he could get in that top 10 or somewhere between 7 and 14 range, Russ, if he continues to impress some of the some of the teams. And, look, uh, there's no doubt I had someone react uh, to my comment on Twitter and said, well, that's the last thing the Falcons need. Of course, it was an Ohio State fan who wanted to be a smartass about what Darnell didn't do on de- December 31st. Bottom line is, like you said uh, – <laughs> Would you be tempted with the NFL version of what Georgia has done offensively? And I think, my God, it, it's it's hard to imagine having a, a, a defense to catch up with two guys like that. I mean, it's tempting to me after what I've seen with Bowers and Washington in the last few years. I know Bowers is different than Pitts, but Pitts is an athletic freak himself, you know, and, and it's like he's got good hands. He had a 1,000-yard season in his first year. Kind of went backwards a little bit this year, which was a little surprising. Then he got hurt late in the year. But, man, if those two were on the field, you want to talk about just a huge line of scrimmage. And, look, I mean, if they have an opportunity to get a Christian Gonzalez from Oregon compared to a a Darnell Washington, they'll probably take Christian Gonzalez and pair him on the other side of A.J. Terrell. But you can't tell me that it's not tempting to want Darnell Washington to compliment Kyle Pitts, because it, it just would pre- present the same kind of problems, as you said, that 
they had uh, teams had facing Georgia the last couple of years. So you had Washington obviously show out at tight end. Uh, and then the other Georgia players, Kiaris Jackson from Peach County, 4-5-5 in the 40-yard dash. You had, of course, Nolan Smith best among defensive ends at 4-3-9 in his 40-yard dash, 6-2-38, probably solidified his first-round selection status. Robert Beal, they were saying that he was possibly only going to be a free agent and he may have played himself into a draft position which is kind of incredible considering the fact that Robert Bill, I think for a while I wondered if he had transferred. He kind of disappeared for a while during his career. He's probably a little bit older. He's got to be because he was there for at least five years. 6'4", 247, but a 4'4", for a defensive end was pretty good. Kenny Mack, of course, the running back, 4'6", with his 40-yard dash. Broderick Jones, best among offensive linemen, a 4'9", and he just looked like he was gliding down the – the stretch there, Khalil Ringo, 4-3-6, fifth best among cornerbacks. And Christopher Smith at safety, 6-2-2-0-7 with a 4-6-2, of course, not as speedy as as Khalil Ringo. But I, I think the Georgia players did very well for themselves. It, it was a good combine. And, look, there's no question you kind of morph that into a talk about the Falcons. We're in a two-tiered situation here with this Atlanta team because – we are now uh, a week away from free agency, nine days away from NFL free agency. It's starting to crack a little bit now only because tomorrow is the deadline at 4 o'clock for teams to franchise their potential free agents. And we'll go through the list of that a little bit here now. So some of these decisions of who and who is not going to be on the market are being made here in the next 24 hours. The one thing that did happen today is that the NFL reinstated Calvin Ridley to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now the Jaguars are going to have Ridley, Christian Kirk, who had 1,108 receiving yards last year, eight touchdowns, and Zay Jones, who had 823 receiving yards, five touchdowns as weapons for Trevor Lawrence. And also, just a little while ago, the Jaguars, to no surprise, placed a franchise tag on Evan Ingram, who as a tight end for Jacksonville last year was the perfect target for Trevor 766 yards, four touchdowns, and I tell you, Russ, if Ridley comes back and can be the player that he had been for the Falcons, the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be one of the most explosive teams offensively in this league with Ridley, Kirk, Jones, and Ingram all there for Trevor Lawrence's liking. Yeah, you could – I remember um, Doug Peterson, an interview I heard with him talking about, you know, how they felt like last year was a real success and and there was a lot of – positive energy in the building so they're coming into this offseason with a ton of momentum and it's a young team that you feel is just going to get better anyway with another offseason but you add a Calvin Ridley to the mix we saw what he could do here in Atlanta Uh, what a weapon for Trevor Lawrence there you make sure the tight ends coming back and you know I don't think they're going to be picked as a you know I don't think a lot of people will pick them to go to the Super Bowl but when you start talking about the pecking order on the AFC side of things, I mean, I you know probably Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati, and then Jack- Jacksonville is probably going to yeah. be right there, maybe with San Diego. So uh, I think that yeah, there's no doubt that franchise is off and running. They got a great chance to be one of the best teams in that division, and yeah, I, I'm excited to continue to watch them. I'm glad they kept Ingram around for another year with the franchise tag, and we know firsthand from watching him with the Falcons what Calvin Ridley can do. All right, so this means now that with the NFL reinstating him. Atlanta will now receive Jacksonville's fifth-round pick this year. 
and it would have been a six-rounder had Ridley had been reinstated past a certain date or not at all. Now it's a fifth-round pick, and uh, then there's other conditions. There is a second pick as well, a conditional pick. It's a fourth-rounder if in in, uh, 2024 really makes the Jaguars team. It becomes a third based on playing time, and then it becomes a second if he signs an extension. So – uh, there are two picks there. But, look, in this draft, Russ, I know people are poo-pooing this draft. Heck, I love the fact that they've got a second, fifth-round pick. I mean, that again, the day three picks can add up, and we've seen some pretty decent fifth-rounders the last couple of years. So, you know, before the suspension, they may have been able to get a second or maybe even a late first for Ridley, but I'm just glad to get something for him now. Yeah, you know, and, and I think a couple of things we've seen in two years of the draft from Terry Fontenot, you know, the, this is where the best player available – strategy really pays off because you're the I mean you're not always going to hit but the idea is that you get a really talented player that can come in and compete and the other thing we've seen too is with these late round picks if they bring in a guy and and it's just they just whiffed they're not going to hang on to them they'll they'll move on and and so uh, I I, I like having that extra pick because I mean they're still look they're they're still rebuilding it's it's kind of the next phase of it and and we're getting pretty close to where we even we can't use that word even anymore even though they don't want to but um Mm. it's still a rebuild so as many picks as you can get that's that's a good thing absolutely no question about it all right so here are some of the other things that have happened today now and these uh kind of all uh are tied to the Falcons or their division or could be tied to the Falcons. And you'll see what I mean here when I go along. First of all, the enemy, New Orleans, signed Derek Carr, four years, $150 million, $37.5 million per year, $100 million in guarantees with $60 million in guaranteed at the signing. And that they did that for cap reasons. Low cap hit in 2023 because they're already over the cap. This also probably means that Jamie's Winston will be leaving, and you wonder if he could be a target, considering Terry Fontenot, of course, formerly being with the enemy. But Derek Carr is to the uh, Saints, and you know what? I think we've, before that move, Russ, we had a question on all four teams in the NFC South. We, you and I, at least, hope that Desmond Ritter is going to answer that question for Atlanta, but we know for sure who's going to be the quarterback now in New Orleans. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think obviously he's the best quarterback in the division, right out of the gate. I think he makes the Saints the favorite right now. You know, before free agency in the draft, because they they are the most set team at the quarterback position in the NFC South. And you know, a lot of the speculation was, you know, if you're Derek Carr, the Buccaneers were looking at a quarterback. Carolina's looking at a quarterback. Saints were looking at a quarterback. If you go to the NFC South, it gives you a better chance to win than say, you know, if you go to the New York Jets. So. I'm still curious to see how they work all this under the cap, mm-hmm. uh, because they're they're in kind of a mess too. But uh, that was a good ad for the Saints. You have to give them credit, even though well, I hate doing that. Yeah, well they they had been they had been uh, uh, discussing a trade with the Raiders before he was released, and then they were um, you know trying to uh, to uh, get that deal done, could not, and then had to release him. And now the Saints have signed him to a contract. All right, now let's talk about Lamar Jackson. Peter King, um, who does the Monday morning quarterback segment, said that he did not hear one team in Indianapolis that was interested in Lamar Jackson, including the Falcons or the Jets. However, there was another report in Indy 
that the Ravens have considered using the non-exclusive tag on Lamar Jackson, which would allow teams, any team in the NFL, to offer Jackson a deal that Baltimore could either match or decline. If they declined the deal to match the deal, then that they would receive two first-round picks for Lamar Jackson. And the Falcons were mentioned as a favorite to explore that if the Ravens were to put that non-exclusive tag on Lamar, which I believe, Russ, would have to be done by tomorrow at four as well, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, I think tomorrow, yeah, that's the franchise tag deadline. Okay, all right. So even a non-exclusive tag would have to be done by tomorrow. Now, along with the Falcons, of course, that have been mentioned about Lamar, the Panthers have also been talked about for Lamar. So, you know, again, with the domino effect of what's going to happen in this division, you got to kind of keep that in mind as well. All right. The majority of the things that have happened today are some players who are getting released who could be on Atlanta's radar. First of all, Bud Dupree from Wilkinson County in Georgia expected to be released by the Titans. He's an eight-year pro, now 30 years old. His first six years were with Pittsburgh, last two with Tennessee. He went to Kentucky, of course, and he had four sacks his past year and 46.5 sacks in his career. All right, now, Khalil Mack. Chargers are expected to release Khalil Mack, who, of course, is a big-time NFL player, now 32 years old, so he's gotten a little old, a little age on him. He had eight sacks, however, last year for the Chargers, and he has 84.5 in his career. Four years with Oakland, of course, and four years in Chicago before playing last year in Los Angeles with the Chargers. Also, uh, there's Eric Hendricks. Now, he's not a pass rusher, but Eric Hendricks, Kendricks, I'm sorry, Eric Kendricks is 31 years old. He spent all eight seasons in Minnesota. The Vikings are said to be releasing him. He was a pro bowler, all pro in 2019. He started 113 games out of 117, 31 years old, and he's available, and he has been a tackle master, really, in the in the last few years. Now, the other player that I want to mention is Leonard Floyd. Of course, the former Georgia Bulldog who has had a very good NFL career. He has played 4 years with Chicago and then 3 with the Rams and so far in his career, in his 7 years, 47.5 sacks. Last year 9, year before that 9 and a half, year before that 10 and a half. And he obviously was in a better position with the Rams than he was with the Bears as he had 29 sacks in three years for the Rams and only, let's see, 7, 14, 18 in four years for Chicago. So those are four. And, and of course, you got to remember now a couple of things um, um, that uh, Floyd is from the Atlanta area. He went to Georgia. He uh, played at, um, well, he played at Hargrove, and but he's from Dodge County, of course. I'm sorry, I said he played for the Atlanta area. He's from Dodge County, of course, I'm sorry. And so th- there's some connections there for some defensive veterans now. Floyd is 30. So all four of those guys I just mentioned, Russ, Leonard Floyd, Khalil Mack, Bud Dupree, Eric Kendricks, are, are over the age of 30, but with the exception of Kendricks, the other three, Dupree, Mack, and Leonard Floyd, are all 
players who can sack the quarterback. Which one of those four do you think could fit Atlanta's defense the best if they had an interest in one of them? I, I think it would be Bud Dupree uh, because he's more of a defensive lineman, and mm-hmm. they they've brought in um, you know Ibikidi and some others to kind of to fill the linebacker role. You know, Mack and, and and Leonard Floyd are more of the linebacker position. So I think I, I think Dupree would be the best fit. Uh, but that being said, with their age, I would I would want a cap friendly deal because uh, they've they've passed that magic number. Yeah, we Russ and I are are much in agreement about after the age of thirty, what are players going to get paid? But you have to admit that those four guys are kind of tempting because of their history and their ability to sack the quarterback. Especially Kendricks is more of a middle linebacker. I don't think with with Troy, that they would uh, push him aside for Kendricks, but it's still worth mentioning. And then this just happened a little while ago, Russ, and this is interesting to me. The Chiefs have said they will not franchise Orlando Brown, the left tackle. He started 33 games the last two years for Kansas City. Of course, he started his his, uh, NFL career in Baltimore. He's only 26 years old, and remember, he's from Duluth, Played at Peachtree Ridge before going to Oklahoma, and he was a third-round pick by the Ravens in the 2018 draft. I mean, I know they've got Jake Matthews, but they may not have Caleb McGarry if he leaves. And you have to wonder, Russ, since Orlando Brown's going to be an unrestricted free agent with the Chiefs not franchising him, could Atlanta be interested in bringing this guy home? Yeah, I think so. I mean, when you're when you're looking to spend money in free agency, this is the type of player you're looking at. Now they're gonna they're gonna pay more. Then, then obviously Kansas City's comfortable paying him, but Kansas City has a they've got a franchise quarterback. The Falcons don't, um, so you know you're always going to overpay a little bit in free agency. So if you're going to do that, go find somebody. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for somebody 26, 27 years old, and Orlando Brown fits that. I and personally, I hope they make a play at him because that you put him. I mean, you could move Jake to right tackle or vice versa, but you put those two bookends on your offensive line, you're, you're in really, really good shape going into next season. All right, one more note, and then we got to go to break. I know this has been a, a lengthy segment, but there's a lot going on here. And I know people are going to wonder about this, and I understand. But Derrick Henry, uh, according to reports this afternoon, is going to be either traded or released by Tennessee. Now, who did he play for with Tennessee before the last two years? Well, he was with Arthur Smith. Last year, Derrick Henry, 1,538 yards. Of course, he had. 2,000 yards, over 2,000 in 2020 for the COVID year. He had 1,540 in uh, 2019. Now, but as Russ just said, uh, he's 29 years old. Two years ago, uh, would I feel more comfortable about this? Um, And if they did not have Tyler Algier as the guy who had had a thousand yard years a rookie running back. I, I Russ, I, I mean, I think they're going to be linked to Derrick Henry if this goes through here. And I'm not saying I'm going to cry about it, but I, if, if they can't give him huge money, can they? I would, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I would be a little bit hesitant um, on Derrick Henry because, you know, last, I mean, look, he's, he's still producing, but his yards per game and yards per carry have, have definitely gone down in the last two seasons as he gets closer. Plus, in three out of the last four years, he's led the league in carries. Now, Bill, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's another name that might be shopped out there on the trade market that I think you would find much more interesting than Derrick Henry for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's two years younger. 
And number three, he's been kind of used in tandem, so he doesn't have nearly the amount of carries, and that's Nick Chubb. Oh, wow. <laughs> you got to make that happen if you're the Falcons, right? Well, I have not seen that, but yes. If, <laughs> if he's available, there's no discussion. And it's the age. Look, I love Derrick Henry. Yep. We joked when Smith was hired two years ago, Derrick ain't walking through that door. I get it. I, and he's they're going to be linked to him, Russ. Oh, yeah. But but and I'm not saying I'm going to cry about it. I, it's just the horn goes off the closer they get to 30, and we we've learned that with Michael Turner. We learned that with uh, Devontae, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, th- you just have to be careful about that contract when you're getting a running back that's pushing 30. And of course, yeah, I mean, I know Gurley was still kind of I hate to say damaged goods my god he was better at 50 percent than half the damn league probably but he was still past his prime uh you know how many more years can Derrick Henry run for a thousand yards I don't know but Nick Chubb you want hey hey Arthur you want to get people in the in that dome and that ugly thing that you built go trade for Nick Chubb that'll do it all right lot of NFL news and and it's going to be a fun week and a half. There's no question. We're going to take a break, come back. We got some baseball talk, then basketball talk with Russ Brown back in Macon. I'm Bill Shanks in Waycross. You're listening to the Bill Shanks Show. Braves have a late afternoon, early evening game with the Red Sox today at Cool Today Park in Northport. Jared Schuster, the team's top prospect will start against Tanner Houck for the Boston Red Sox. I'm sorry. I'm sitting here looking at the wrong day. The Braves are off today. That's tomorrow. So they have a day and a half off. I I knew that. I'm just sitting here looking at it and reading it and read it wrong anyway. That's Tuesday. So the Braves have a little bit of time off today. And usually, as you probably know, when the Braves have a day off, they try to almost close the – the complex for everyone and just take a day off except for the people who have to get treatment or whatever Braves lost yesterday to New York 10 to 8 eight runs scored in the ninth inning for New York but it was not any pitchers that are going to be uh, significant for the Braves minor league guys who just got lit up a little bit a couple of things to talk about with the Braves however and the first part is the pitching We had some pretty good numbers over the weekend. On Saturday in split squad games, Max Freed and Spencer Strider both had three shutout innings. Neither Freed nor Strider have allowed an earned run. Each has pitched five innings so far. Freed, nine strikeouts. Strider, only four. What's wrong with Max? I mean, with Spencer, I'm sorry. So, so far, so good for Spencer and for Max, who could be two Cy Young candidates. Charlie Morton made his debut in a Grapefruit League game on Sunday against the Yankees. He allowed one run on one hit in two and two-thirds innings pitch, no walks, two strikeouts. That was good as well. Bryce Elder got back in uh, good standing over the weekend with two and a third innings, one hit, one unearned run, two walks, and five strikeouts. Ian Anderson did a little bit better as well, and those were – Anderson stats. I'm screwing up all day long here today. I, I'm sorry. I, I wrote that on the uh, sheet, and I had it in the wrong place. That was Ian Anderson's numbers that I said for Strider, or rather for Elder. On Sunday, Ian Anderson gave up one unearned run, one hit, two and a third innings, two walks, five strikeouts. 
and that made his uh, ERA go down to 9.82 after a very bad first game. So that was a much better showing for Ian Anderson. Bryce Elder has has pitched better in the second game. His ERA is down, down to 7.71. Colby Allard's pitched very well in his two games, 1.82 ERA. Dylan Dodd has not allowed an earned run in his two games. No walks, seven strikeouts. He is someone to watch for this year. And, of course, Kyle Wright and Michael Soroka have yet to pitch in a game. Soroka uh, pitched off the front of the mound over the weekend, and they hope to get him uh, on that mound later on. And you probably know, and we've said, he's not going to be ready for the big leagues on opening day. He'll probably be hopefully ready for AAA. But the pitching's been very good. That's a very good sign. Of course, the other part is Matt Olson is just absolutely killing it which is really fun to see him off to a great start. And, of course, you don't have to worry about that shift this year with him. So no telling how good of a year he could have. And I think with Matt Olson at first and Austin Riley at at third, the Braves have two of the best corner infielders in the game. And it's going to be, a, again, a lot of fun to see how the lack of shift can help Matt Olson have even better numbers for the batting average this year i don't think there's any question we know the power is going to be there another thing and and there was an article about this over the weekend that i think is very interesting and that is uh, jason stark of the athletic wrote uh, an article about how teams are perhaps going to be more aggressive early on to try and run now i'm not overly excited about these rules We all have talked about this a pretty good amount over the last couple of weeks as we've seen this being implemented. We've seen over the weekend a couple of occasions where the batters just jerked around and didn't get in the box and had two straight strikes called on them. So these batters and pitchers are all trying to learn the rules. But one thing, obviously, that is in place to try to increase the activity on the base pass is the – uh, limitation on how many times a pitcher can throw to first base. And that is going to create a belief that there will be more running opportunities plus the bigger bags, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You look at Atlanta. Well, last year, Ronald Acuna had 29 stolen bases. He had 37 in his last full year, which was 2019. We know he was probably on his way to 40 before he had that injury late in the year. So there's no question Ron Acuna, from the top spot in the batting order, could run a lot this year. Ozzie Albies. Now, last year, Ozzie only played about a third of the season. He had three stolen bases. He had had 20 the year before in 2021, so he has the ability to steal a few more. He has said, including in that article by Jason Stark, that he plans to run more. Michael Harris, last year between Atlanta and AA Mississippi, Michael had 31 stolen bases. He had 27 in 2021 in Rome, so there's no question. Michael Harris can run. Vaughn Grissom, last year between the Meyer Leagues and Atlanta, he had 32 stolen bases. Go back two years ago to 2021 when he was in Rome, he had 16 stolen bases. So, yes, he has the ability to run. Eddie Rosario, marginal speed, not great. Two years ago, he had 11 in between Cleveland and Atlanta. He only had three last year because he was hurt. Uh, well, his eye, he couldn't see. His eye was a mess. And then Orlando Arcia is not slow. Uh, he's not a speedster, but he, he did have 14 stolen bases back in 2017, so he does have the ability to run a little bit. The key for this conversation, though, 
is, uh, number one, I think the intrigue that I have about the lineup construction of what Brian Sicker is going to do, this lineup, to have some of these speedsters kind of spread out through the nine players. But it's all about run creation and run production and getting runners in the scoring position. And I don't think there's any doubt that's the purpose of some of these rules to try to have more activity on the bases. And if you have players like these that I mentioned that can do that, that have the potential to steal bases, whether it's 10 for a year, 20, 30, 40, whatever, will these managers, will Brian Snicker be more aggressive early on to see if that equals success? And, Russ, I'm really anxious to see. uh, I've already said I think April's going to be a a dumpster fire when it comes to some of these rules still being kind of straightened out and everybody getting on the same page. But, man, in that light, I'm running like crazy early in the season just to see if that does create some success. Yeah, me too, Bill. And and I think, you know, the Braves, compared to other rosters, are really set up to take advantage of that because some of the names you mentioned there, I mean, Michael Harris, Ronald Acuna Jr., and Ozzie, and and I think Vaughn Grissom's got some wheels as well. And, and, you know, to to try to put pressure on the defense – Try to put more pressure on that pitcher. You know, he's he's got to sit there. He's got 20 seconds to figure out if he's going to throw over or or pitch. And after he throws over twice, you know you know what's coming then. So, yeah, I'd run like crazy, especially at the beginning of the year, to really get a feel for it, uh, specifically with those four guys. It's going to be fun to watch. I mean, obviously there are some things that are going to change this game, but if some of those things can include items that can make your team even better, and I, I think we're all in agreement. If you've looked at their roster, the Braves have a great roster. They have a great ability to do some very good things and win a lot of games this year. They don't have to play their division opponents or, not, or as much this year because of the decrease from 18 to 13 games per year. So that's 20 games they won't have to play against their division opponents this year. And I, I can't wait. I mean, I'm really excited about this season. The pitching's doing well down there. If they're going to be, we know they're going to hit home runs. They got a lot of home run hitters. They can steal some bases. Uh, the Braves are going to have a good year. They really are. Next, basketball talk. That and more as we continue here on this Monday, right after this. All right, before we get to a little college basketball and college baseball and some Hawks, another player who could be on Atlanta's radar is evidently getting ready to be released. Adam Schefter has just reported the Chiefs and Frank Clark's agent, Eric Burkhart, were unable to find common ground on a reworked deal during several conversations at the Combine, and the expectation now is that Kansas City will release the 25, 29-year-old defensive end who is the NFL's third all-time leading postseason sacker. Wow, I'm really surprised by that. Uh, He had five sacks this past year. He's got 58.5 in his career. He is an eight-year veteran, first four with Seattle, last four with Kansas City. And again, Russ, I I, I mean, between Leonard Floyd, Bud Dupree, Khalil Mack, Frank Clark, I mean, these are just names that I would think, just with their pass rush history, for lack of a better term, They've got to be examined and, and evaluated by the Falcons very closely. Yeah, no, I, I think so. And, and you, you know, and you got to weigh it against what's going to be available in the draft and and what what direction you can go there. 
or maybe they don't care. Maybe they're just going <laughs> to maybe they just take the best player available regardless. But um, you know, with this hiring Ryan Nielsen, the defensive coordinator, is it's all about pass rush and trying to find a way to get after the quarterback. They've got the fewest sacks in the league over the last two seasons. And there's some guys out there that could make an impact. I mean, all these guys, I mean, even the, the older guys, will, will, would improve this team instantly if they were signed today. Well, and again, um, Floyd's 30. Frank Clark turns 30 in, Ju- in June. Khalil's 32. Bud Dupree is 30. Eric Kendricks, the other one I mentioned, is 31. So, I mean, but, you know, a vet- we talked, to, what, last week about when they brought in Biscuit 25 mm-hmm. years ago? Yep. Remember? And we said, you know, look, I mean, he was past his quote-unquote prime, but he still gave the Falcons a couple of good years. And that's kind of what I'm looking at with these candidates here. It's like, okay, they may not be what they once were. Frank Clark's still a pretty damn good player, my God. I mean, he's, he was – I remember reading about him before the Super Bowl, and they were like – you know, can the Eagles do some things without Frank Clark really giving some trouble to Jalen Hurts? And, man, they're releasing him. That's that's surprising. Yeah. All right. So keep keep all those names in mind. Frank Clark, Leonard Floyd, Khalil Mack, Bud Dupree. I, I would be shocked if the Falcons aren't, aren't in on some of those guys. All right. The Hawks lost a tough game on Saturday. 117 to 109. It was the back to back of a uh, of a uh, back to back, and they had uh, played pretty well on Friday, but then lost on Saturday at Miami. 117 to 109. They could not stop Bam out of Bayou, just like they couldn't stop Bradley Beal last week with Washington. Of course, Bam is a little bigger than Beal, but still, Bam was having his way. This team's still missing some enforcer. Uh, I know Jason Walker, when I, I was talking with him about it over the weekend, Russ, he said, yeah, Solomon Hill. And I'll even throw in Mike Scott from a few years back. Mm-hmm. Just someone who's a bruiser who you can throw in there for 10, 15 minutes a night. I just don't think they have that right now. And that's why somebody like Bam out of Bayou just went off. Yeah, and we've talked about this in the past, the need for that, whatever the modern-day version of that is. you know. And I think those two guys, Mike Scott – and Solomon Hill are perfect examples of just gritty guys that are coming, going to come in and get some hustle points, and you know, do some of the dirty work. And and you know, and, and I hope that Quinn Snyder's you know walking out of the arena Saturday night, going, man, we need we need a glue guy on this team. We need an enforcer. Uh, yeah. I, I hope that's something they look for in the off season. I, this is a talented roster, and I don't think they're very many pieces away from being that upper echelon Eastern Conference team that we think they can be. It's just. You you got to have a full roster of complementary players, and that they don't have that right now. They'll play the Heat again tonight. Hawks are back at five hundred thirty-two and thirty-two. They just can't get anything rolling. And then on Wednesday they go to Washington, and on Wednesday and Friday they'll play the the Wizards, who are right there with them in the Eastern Conference, and they really need to play well. They need to play well against the Wizards when uh, they're right there by each other. All right, Georgia basketball lost to South Carolina 61-55 to end their regular season at 16-15, and 6-12 in the SEC. Bulldogs have lost five in a row, eight of their last ten games. Their next game will be uh, tomorrow night – I'm sorry, Wednesday night at 9 o'clock versus LSU in the SEC tournament in Nashville. Georgia wins that game. They'll play Vanderbilt on Thursday night at 9 o'clock. 
On the other hand, Georgia Tech won again. They finished the regular season with a three-game win streak. They've won six of eight. They beat Boston College 73-65 on Saturday. Georgia Tech finishes the regular season at 14-17, and 6-14 and 14 in the ACC. And remember, they, uh, a couple of weeks ago, had a nine-game losing streak and were 8-15 and 15 and then went 6-2 and two in their final eight games. They'll play tomorrow at 2 o'clock against FSU and Greensboro on the ACC tournament. Russ, I, I, I mean, has he saved his job? Has Josh Pastor I- done it? I, well, I'll say this, because I think this is how I would answer that question, Bill. If if there is, for whatever reason, a, if there was a hesitation during the nine-game losing streak to say, we need to make a change, but financially, dot, 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 they, they can justify bringing him back. I don't know if he saved his job. I Personally, I think after seven years, you probably need to go in a different direction. But if they do want to bring him back, I think they can justify it based off what they've done in these last few games. You have to give him credit, right? Yep, because absolutely. they were they were dead, weren't they? Yeah. No, they they, he, he, they were, and and he shortened the rotation, and it worked, and something's clicked with these guys, and they are playing really well down the stretch. He deserves a ton of credit for that, no doubt. He really does. He really does. Um, and whether he keeps his job or not, I mean, you've got got to give credit to a team that did not give up, and whether they were fighting for him or not, it's pretty impressive. All right, real quick, Kennesaw State. I know we don't talk very much about the Owls. Well, they won the Atlantic Sun Conference Tournament by beating Liberty by one point over the weekend, and they are headed to the NCAA Tournament. So at least the state of Georgia will have one school in the big dance. It is the first tournament appearance in school history for Kennesaw State. Congratulations to them. College baseball, Georgia beat Tech two out of three over the weekend, but they lost on Sunday. Georgia now eight and three. They will take on Georgia Southern the next two days in North Augusta tomorrow at 6.30, and then Wednesday in Statesboro at 6 before hosting Charleston Southern this weekend at Foley Field. Georgia Tech now 10-2 and with their two losses to Georgia over the weekend. Of course, they had some players out as well, and uh, they won yesterday 7-2. to They will host Lipscomb on Tuesday at 4 o'clock and then host Notre Dame this weekend. So a lot going on, a lot of uh, baseball, basketball, and football. And, heck, there's even a rumor out there that the Thrashers may come back. <laughs> That's all we need, Russ, to have something else to talk about in early March, right? Right. Well, I mean, come on. Like, can we not do this? We've already struck out twice on <laughs> hockey. Like, I mean, we've got Gwinnett, we got Macon, we got Savannah. There's enough minor league hockey here. Hockey fans are happy. I'm with you. Let it, let it lie there. Just the flames flamed out. So did the Thrashers. They got shot. You're listening to The Bill Shank Show. 